Hello and welcome to this week's Market Pulse. I'm Matt Ford, CEO and co-founder of Sidekick. And I've got with me today, Adrian, our portfolio manager. Let's get started with this week's topic. And the topic of the day is investing in luxury. It's been a volatile week in the luxury sector. There has been management changes. There's been GDP figures from China. It's been reporting season. As you said, this week, it was quite volatile in the sector because we had not only the Chinese numbers, as you know, China is a big driver of the luxury market because it's more than 40% of the total market. But also we had Richemont, which is the owner of Cartier, who reported numbers which were a bit less exciting than investors expected, sent the shares down. And we had management changes at Gucci, which sent the shares the other way as people got excited of the brand revival story there. So for us, we took this opportunity to go back and revisit the sector and ask those fundamental questions. Why do consumers buy luxuries? What drives this coveted pricing power that investors really love? And some of the answers are common sense, but some may surprise you because if you think about why consumers buy luxuries, it's mainly because they want to feel special. What the brands we choose, clothes we wear, they are a reflection not only of our personalities, but also our social, economic, and political views. And we are playing at the very top end of the Maslow pyramid of needs. And what they, this means is that people don't really care how much they pay. Pricing comes as a secondary uh, thought, almost. There are some limits, but most of the time. And this gives the sector the attractiveness. Now, in the last 10 to 15 years, it was relatively easy for luxury brands because we had the rise of China, we had Russia, we had Middle East, minting new billionaires every year. And so brands had a pretty easy backdrop. But now with the Chinese slowing down with Russia pretty much being non-existent, they need to, to work harder. So the tide's been rising for well over a decade with all those things that you're just talking about. But as you say, with Russia and the Ukraine war, with China, is this going to be a really challenging period for luxury? Will they be able to maintain this pricing power? And I suppose what is it about luxury goods that can survive some of these times as well? We looked at what drives pricing power for luxury brands. And there are many things, but one thing that is a common denominator across the sector is deeply rooted heritage in innovation. So these are not empty brands. People pay a lot of money because there's a story behind, because once upon a time, they were super innovative and they managed to reinvent themselves. Take, for example, Louis Vuitton. He was the guy who 150 years ago invented modern luggage, as we know it. Back in the day, only rich people were able to travel and they used to travel generally with a lot of stuff. And it was by carriage. So all the trunks were basically made of hard wood or even leather, but they had a dome-shaped top so water can slide. But young Louis Vuitton, what he really saw as an opportunity was that with the advent of the steaming engine and the bones, people needed to travel more and be able to stack this thing. So not only that it came up with the canvas, which was a lighter, water impermeable material, but it also allowed the, the shape of the trunks to be square and be able to be stacked. At the time, it was a huge innovation. The royals loved him and it became a status symbol. And that's where the heritage of the, of the brand comes. 
Another example is Cartier, another Louis, Louis Cartier, who basically took the pocket watch and put it on her hands and her wrists. He was the inventor of that, and it may seem trivial now, but at the time it was a huge effort in engineering and design to take something that stays at a constant temperature in your pocket and put it on your wrist where the temperature at the bottom is lower or it's higher, at the top it can be lower or higher. Also, you can wind it with one hand. So there was a lot of engineering and innovation going into these products, and the list goes on. If you look at Gucci during World War II, they came up with some really innovative materials like bamboo because leather was really scarce. Prada uh, took haute couture and made it functional. And Thomas Burberry oh. came up with gabardine material, which was super innovative at the time because it allowed adventurers and soldiers to go far and stay dry without having to wear like this really heavy coat. So it's really important that you have this story behind but it's not enough because consumers today, they may not care as much what you innovated 150 years ago. So you need to have this heritage, have the innovation, but constantly reinvent yourself and come up with an interpretation of these old brands that is relevant in the current environment. And for us as investors, when, when we look at across the luxury sector, across the luxury brands, the first place we look is where we have this heritage, but maybe the brand has failed in the short term to stay relevant to the current customer because we know this is only temporary and it can change with the change of a creative director or the CEO at Gucci. So yeah, it's an interesting space. So it's that combination of heritage and innovation that they're just going to have to keep continually reinventing themselves. Exactly. And I suppose that kind of leads us really neatly onto our second story, which is a way in which some of these luxury brands have been starting to innovate and actually build experiences beyond just the luxury goods that they're producing is hotels and hospitality. And you don't think of hospitality as a luxury goods space, do you? But this is an area where there's been a lot of innovation recently. True. There's, uh, the luxury hospitality industry is a lot smaller than the luxury goods industry. So we're talking about 80 billion euros roughly versus close to 300 billion for the luxury goods sector. But it's growing and it's interesting nonetheless, and it's more and more intertwined with the luxury goods sector. For example, LVMH, which is the biggest conglomerate in the luxury industry, who owns Louis Vuitton and other brands, they've been expanding their luxury hotels portfolio in the last few years. And I think there are somewhere around 50 plus hotels. Cheval Blanc, Belmond, and Bulgari are just a few names. And they are actually thinking about opening a Louis Vuitton branded hotel in Paris. And, um, you know, this is important because as I said in the beginning, luxury is about how you make people feel mm. and think of a hotel as an extension of a flagship. Brands build these huge flagships because they want people to go in there and experience the essence of the brand. With the hotel, you basically turbocharge this. And for investors, it raised a few eyebrows because going into hotels is different than luxury. You have high capital requirements. The pricing power is not as high as in leather goods, for example. So it brings down your return on capital. But I think it's a very smart move from LVMH because they basically are using hotels as a marketing tool. It's just another tool in their marketing arsenal. And what this means is that, first of all, they are building a huge database of customers and potential customers. Mm. 
which sometimes are captive in that environment and you can sell a bunch of things or you can pretty much accustom them with your brand, with what your brand means. I'm talking about leather goods placements up to exclusive capsule collections or even selling them yachts if they want to. So not a lot of the brands can do this because they don't have the firepower that uh, the mega brands have, but you know, they are using it pretty smartly, I would say, to widen their moats around their main brands. It's like a giant flagship store, basically, kind exactly. of common experience of flagship store for days. Another area where we've seen some interesting moves and you don't often think of cars and the automotive sector as part of luxury, but actually there's been some really interesting areas in which the industry is completely changing itself. So we thought we'd kind of touch on that a bit as well. Yeah, if you ask any of the luxury car brand CEOs, they will not tell you that they are in the business of selling cars. They are in the business of selling dreams. And it's true that if you look at autos, purely from an auto industry perspective, the high-end, the luxury names are maybe 1% of the total sales. Whereas if you take that industry and put it in the context of luxury, it's more than half of the total luxury market. And the investors are taking notice and they are excited because we had a few of these luxury car brands being spun off from their mass market mother companies. And the most successful one is obviously Ferrari, which IPO'd a few years ago from Fiat and it multiplied market cap by, I think, a factor of five. And now we're having Aston Martin, we're having Porsche. Um, they all want to jump on this luxury bandwagon. But the industry is not, like you said, it's not without its challenges. And the biggest one is this paradigm change, which is electrification, which is coming fast and is irreversible. But I guess the question is, is this more of a threat or an opportunity for this luxury, especially car sports brand? Because on one hand, of course, the luxury car industry was built on power and speed and the most powerful the engine, internal combustion engine, the more people would pay. But electrification has kind of thrown that off because now you can basically have power and speed, and most of those innovators are coming from outside of the industry, outside of Europe. So it's bringing down the modes around the industry, and, and that's a challenge, no matter how we look at it. But on the other hand, if you're truly a luxury brand like Ferrari, for example, it can be a huge opportunity because if you think about why consumers buy these cars, it's not because of the technological advancement, it's because of nostalgia. And we've seen in the past that they pushed back on new iterations on bringing digitization into the car and so on. So there is a, this opportunity for brands who have the heritage and the power, the pricing power, to segment their clientele and basically be able to charge really high prices for the nostalgia type of products, while at the same time coming up with hybrid models for the mass market. And yeah, there is an argument to be made that the more electrification you have, the more expensive these powerful engines will become. With the COVID that, you know, the regulator is watching. Exactly. Their hands might get forced. The combustion engine might be a thing of the past. And, but do they need to be mutually exclusive? Do we think that electrification can be luxury? Absolutely. I think there's going to be segmentation in the customer base, which is the opportunity for Ferrari, like I said. But 
ultimately, if electrification gives you the power, the speed, it ticks uh, all the boxes. I see a world in which maybe the combustion engine Ferraris become collectibles. They are meant to be kept in a huge gallery in a garage, but you get to drive your electric one every day or every weekend. I hope you enjoyed our stories this week. If you haven't yet downloaded the Psychic app, you can not only get the market pulse, but you can also unlock founding membership, which is an exclusive community of people who've helped to shape Sidekick the last year, and we would love you to be part of it. So just go to the Google Play Store, go to the App Store and search Sidekick Money, or go to www.sidekickmoney.com, and there's a link to download the app there. We hope to see you next week, but before we go, some important disclaimers. It's important to note that the content of this Market Pulse is based on current information which we consider to be reliable and accurate. It represents Psychic's view only and does not represent investment advice. Investors should not take decisions to trade based on this information. Psychic is not yet regulated, but has applied to the FCA for authorization to operate. Prior to Psychic becoming fully authorized, none of the information provided is intended as an inducement or an invitation to apply for any Psychic product or service.